Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live, uh, the 10th of June. It's hard to believe, but we're already in uh, well into the month. Actually, a few more days, and we'll be mid-month and uh, well on our way into uh, some summer weather here in Florida, at least. Uh, I think today was uh, just pushing 90, uh, so a little steamy here for sure for those of you in, in my neck of the woods. Um, all right, we've got a great show for you. We are live every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. I'm going to stop complaining about the weather. It's been nice and sunny. Um, thanks for joining me. And uh, in a moment here, I'm going to introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. I've got a couple of great uh, professionals. And a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by my special guest, uh, Chris Moffat. He is the founder of Golf Pal Sports, Inc., uh, which is a company that he started actually last year and runs a great online platform, uh, golfpal.golf. And we'll talk about that when he joins me a little bit later on in the show. All right, let me introduce uh, this evening's panel here in the Coach's Corner, and uh, we'll get into tonight's discussion. First up is Pete Buchanan. He is the founder, director of instruction, and owner of Plain Simple Golf, LLC, uh, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. Uh, he's been a, uh, helping golfers focus on building a repeatable swing and has been teaching golf for over 30 years. Also joining on the panel tonight is John Decker, Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he's also a senior editor and a top 25 instructor at Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, and prior, he was uh, a head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, he was also the 2015 Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year and author of Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which, of course, includes a Bible study. And he's also a public speaker, so he can come uh, to an area near you. So you might want to check that out as well uh, at the end of the show when he gives out his contact information. You may want to have him come and speak at uh, maybe your church or uh, a local gathering. But anyways, uh, guys, uh, welcome to Coach's Corner. Thanks, Ted. Thank Good you, Ted. All right, appreciate it. All right, so as I mentioned, um, before we get into our general discussion tonight, which is going to cover a few different things, I wanted to talk about this past weekend, uh, of course, was the Memorial Tournament, and obviously it's uh, created a lot of buzz for a number of reasons. It's obviously uh, a favorite among a lot of the uh, uh, guys on the PGA Tour because, of course, the host is uh, uh, Jack and Barbara Nicholas and uh, has uh, always precedes the U.S. Open, which, of course, is coming next week. And uh, it's always a, a great tournament and uh, played up in the Ohio area, John, up in your neck of the woods. Uh, and it's just, a, you know, normally a lot of fun. But this year, um, 
it, it kind of had a little bit of a, a twist and a turn, if you will. And uh, I want to talk just a little bit about that. So just to bring everybody up in speed, uh, if you're not familiar, of course, um, John Ram uh, was winning the tournament, uh, or actually leading the tournament, um, towards the end, uh, in the, coming into the final round, uh, by six strokes. And uh, regrettably, uh, as is their policy with the PGA of America, or sort of PGA Tour, uh, it is a requirement that uh, all the players uh, before each uh, round are tested for COVID-19. Um, and uh, as it turned out, uh, towards the latter part of the, uh, the event, um, Rom tested positive for COVID-19 and was essentially um, disqualified from the event uh, per the PGA's rules and uh, ultimately had to forfeit any chance of winning that. And it's raised a lot of controversy for a number of reasons, um, even though it is in the rules uh, that if you do test positive, that uh, it's an automatic disqualification. And uh, they escorted him off, and obviously he was not, uh, certainly initially, his shock was not too happy about it. But there's been a lot of uh, feedback. And I'm going to start, Pete, if you don't mind, I'll do it in the order that I introduced you, Pete, and then John. And, and my first question is this. Um, obviously, the rules are the rules, and everybody has to follow them. However, is there another option that could have taken place here as opposed to disqualifying a player? Um, you know, as example, having them play, uh, you know, by themselves, you know, splitting up from the pair uh, or the grouping they're in. Um, could they have maybe changed the policy at this point, at this stage of the game, um, to be more accommodating? Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, that's a great question. I mean, obviously they could have. Um, you know, you have to look back. Have they done, you know, anything like that previously? You know, how the tour is. I mean, they're going to follow pretty much per diem how they go. But, yeah, I think, you know, under the circumstances, you would think maybe there could be an accommodation for that. I know it's going to be the final round. Um, you know, to have the leader out playing by himself is a little bit different. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, um yeah, I, I I would love to have seen that. I mean, at least come up with some kind of scenario that allows them to continue to play versus, you know, uh, not being able to. I, and, and not that it would be any different. I mean, if, if a guy was, you know, had made the cut by a stroke and was, you know, in the bottom half of the field, is that any different than, you know, the leader? Uh, you know, in, in hindsight, no, not really. They're both trying to complete a tournament. Um, but you also mm-hmm. have to look forward in this case with Rom, you know, having – and you're probably going to ask this question later, but I mean, this has consequences moving forward because the U.S. Open's so close. So, um, right. Yeah, I would love to see them, you know, at least come up with something, you know, let them play by themselves, keep every, uh, you know, distance away from everybody, and and, you know, go from there. Yeah, I, I agree. And 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 John, let me just add to this. You know, I mean, here's a player. He's at that point when this went down was leading the tournament by six strokes. So he had a, a good, healthy lead. Uh, there was, a, I mean, a very strong possibility that he was going to uh, finish out the winner, may have dropped a couple of strokes here and there, but more than likely it didn't look like he was going to lose the event. Um, my question to you, and you're certainly welcome to answer uh, and respond to my initial question to Pete, but again, given the fact that I understand the ruling here, um, but... 
part of the reason is that he was not vaccinated, and obviously they're trying to protect the uh, crowds and, and other players and so on and so forth. Um, but I look at it this way. The PGA Tour has not made it mandatory for players to have the vaccination. Uh, it's at this point voluntary. So my question to you is, is it fair, again, given the rules, I understand, but is it fair to disqualify a player when the governing body has not made it mandatory to have vaccinations um, when other options potentially could be available? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, overall, um, I, I, first of all, um, I was, I didn't like the, I didn't like the way it happened at all. Um, I thought Jimmy Walker had a great uh, tweet about it. Jimmy's obviously a participant. Um, and he said that, mm-hmm. that he thought that John Rahm should have played by himself. And uh, in the final, he was in right. the final group anyway, just having, just have, maybe put a marker or you could rearrange the rest of the pairings and maybe put a marker up front or whatever to, to help, you know, with the pace of play and everything. Had him play by himself, um, you know, that, to me, that would have been the, the very, that would have been the wise thing to do. And, and I understand, I understand the, the kind of the politics on this and, and the rules and everything. But let me ask you this. What if that had been Tiger Woods? What would have happened? Mm-hmm. I mean, what would the PGA yeah. Tour have done? Or Phil Mickelson? You know, what would they have done? And, I mean, that could have easily happened to Phil Mickelson at the PGA Championship. What would they have done? And so, right. I, I, I mean, you know, I really um, – it's not – you know, it's it's really a tough situation, you know, to, to put anybody in. Um, and I, I did, I just, just, I did not like it the way it was handled. I thought it was, um, you know, it just, to me, it was just not handled the way I would have liked, but I understand why they did it and they have the rules and the rules, they're going to fall back on that. Um, but that's, that was the question that I always had is what if it was somebody of that caliber and in in that situation at the PGA championship would have been a, you know, because Phil Mickelson, you know, he's, he can play in the last group. Um, you know, he's proven that. And so um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how they would have reacted to that. But it's um, as far as all the vaccination policy, I did not know um, that he had not been vaccinated. And that is a personal choice. It's uh, his body and he can do yep. with, with it what he what he wants. And, and, and so that's his own personal choice. And no one should criticize him for that. Uh, in my opinion, because uh, his body, right. his choice, and and we all have that freedom. So um, um, anyway, I that's I don't really have anything enlightening to comment more than that. But but uh, it was I, it was a very very unfortunate incident. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you know, here's here's my underlying argument, uh, and I've sort of you know mentioned this already. Um, you know the the PGA is a is a private uh, organization or a private uh, group, if you will, in the sense that they have the right to um, you know create and have whatever rulings they want, and they have an option if they felt uh, again whatever policy they wanted to adopt, they could have very easily said you know what if you want to play in a PGA sanctioned event, you must be vaccinated. Otherwise, you can't. I just think it's very unfair to put players in a position 
again, giving them freedom of choice, whether they choose to for whatever reason, whether it be religious or otherwise, choosing not to. And I don't know what the circumstances were. I just know that uh, in some of the reports they mentioned that he had not been vaccinated, uh, certainly not within the, the guidelines of, of being you know, permitted to, uh, to count, if, in other words, but I don't believe he was. Um, but Pete, my, my underlying argument is it, it's almost forcing players to have to adhere to that Otherwise, they're running a risk of, of potentially this happening in future, um, which I'll mention in a moment. But really, the unfair part of it is, is, you know, he is now essentially forfeited the uh, purse, which was a little over $1.6 million. And as default, now he's probably going to get more than this, but according to the rules from what I've read, um, he would get whatever the last uh, place uh, payout would be for for a player in the tournament. I think they're going to have. I think they've upped it a little bit, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but again, so here's somebody that's in a position that's you know more than likely going to win the tournament has now been DQ'd because of the policy uh, forfeits the majority. Plus, my understanding as well, uh, he's a, a player under Callaway's. Uh, uh, group, if you will, and stood to earn an additional bonus as well if he wins the tournament. That is obviously, and again, unless Callaway does something different, is likely going to be. And I know it's not about the money, but I look at it this way, and I, I just want to get your your final thoughts on this, both of you. Uh, is it unfair to put a player in that position when you don't have a definitive policy to say either you have to be vaccinated or not, and if not, then here's what's going to happen other than disqualifying. Is it an unfair position to put a player in? Pete, your thoughts first, and then, uh, John, if you want to add to it. Well, let's have an alternative to to the situation. I mean, right now it's just you test positive, you're out. So let's come up with a scenario. Yeah. That's, they should, that would make it more fair. At least we have some way for them to be able to finish the tournament. On hindsight, mm-hmm. um you know, it, he could certainly have gotten vaccinated. Uh, you know, I look at that like, you know, why didn't he? And I granted, I know it's, it's, it's right. everybody's choice, but I mean, if, if that's a possibility and the vaccination can keep that from happening, um, look at the circumstances, yeah, it might be worth getting it done under, under those guidelines. Um, I don't think the tour mm-hmm. should make it mandatory. Um, I think they should leave it up to each player. But again, each individual needs to take into account, you know, what they're doing, where they're going, where they're traveling. And there's no guarantee to say that, you know, if he was vaccinated, he couldn't test the positive either. I mean, you, you just never know. Mm-hmm. But um, right. at least it's a it's a leap, leaps and bounds step in the right direction. So, um, yeah, I think it's a little unfair. I think they should have an option. There should definitely be an option for the, the player to be able to finish. Um, and so in, until they come up with an option, you know, I, I think I'm going to err on the side with you. I think it's a little bit unfair to just say, hey, you test positive or out. Um, let's come up with an alternative yep. situation that, that can make it work. Well, and uh, good point. And, and, John, just one other thing. I'm just going to add a little, just a, a slight little twist to this. You know, one of my concerns, and this is why I say it's a little bit of a slippery slope, uh, again, given the fact that it is a policy and also – the host of the tournament, uh, you know, Nicholas uh, could have said that's, you know, it's a requirement to either have to have it or, you know, we're going to stick with the, with the rules. My concern here also is this. Let's say 
even if they run it multiple times, it's a false positive. They've now disqualified yeah. him from the tournament, and he's now come out. He has no chance of any recompense through that. And let's say he goes and has another follow-up, and they say, you know what? That was a false positive. He doesn't have it, um, but he's automatically been disqualified from the tournament. That's what I'm talking about is fair. It's a very slippery slope, and I think the PGA is going to have to come up with some sort of a definitive plan as to how they're going to move forward. Because I think what's currently, as, as Pete's pointed out and you've alluded to as well, I, I think, again, we all have to have rules. We have to follow by the rules. But there's too much um, of an open door here for you know, those types of situations happening that is very unfair for the player. And again, once the damage is done, um, you know, again, you know, they really don't have any recourse. Um, any final thoughts that you want to add? And, and then we'll get on to our, our main discussion tonight. I think for me, it would be, I, I think that the testing should be done, you know, Monday or Tuesday of the early in the week. And then what, and if you pass your, there should be no more testing. I think to have testing every day is, uh, I think a little bit of overkill, um, in my opinion, but that's my opinion. Uh, and I agree with you. I, there's so many cases of false positives and I believe from what I've read or heard, even Fauci had a false positive. So, I mean, it, it, it happens. Right. There, there, it's happened in other sports, uh, where, you know, I went to East Carolina, our quarterback, he got a false positive. He could not play in the game. And he went to his own doctor, and they tested him and said, you don't have, a, you don't have COVID. So false positives are very common. And, um, you know, I think if you're testing every single day like that, you're gonna, that's going to happen. And it's not fair to – you're exactly right. If someone is perfectly healthy, that feels fine, not sick, and they get a false positive, you're, these guys are independent contractors. You know, they are not, they are not yep. covered by a, a contract, to, you know, when they're playing there. They have to go out and earn it. And – yeah, you know, I know they're sponsored. I know they make a lot of money, but they're also um, they have to be really good at what they do, and they have to their their pay is based on how well they play golf ultimately, and so that's yep. uh, it's very unfair. So feel for him. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean a lot of people on the sidelines might say, well, you know, hey, 1.6 million, that's nothing to sneeze at. Um, you know, these guys make a lot of money, and and so on and so forth. But as you said, they're independent contractors. Uh, again, you know, he's looking at making anywhere from, I think, as little as, if I, I saw the stats earlier, I think it was as little as 30000 which, again, is still a lot of money. Uh, but then when you factor in, he's paying his caddy and, and his other out-of-pocket expenses. Um, you know, really, he's left with nothing. And here, this was, you know, purported to be one of his best rounds out on the PGA Tour. He shot a 64 uh, to get where he was. And then all of a sudden, he's, you know, he's yanked. Uh, out of the tournament, uh, you know, because he tested positive. And I think, you know, for all the bragging that's come out of the industry over the last year about how it's, you know, been very fortunate being so, a social distance, I think there's a lot of other options that could have been available uh, or made available for, for a situation like this. Um, you know, and again, you know, if he if he did have it, have it and he did test positive and he has been around people, well, then whatever potentially damage is done anyways – so to pull him out, I think, is really unfair. But I was just curious to see what, what your, uh, both of your thoughts were on that. I think they're very, you know, certainly some, some good arguments on either side. Uh, again, it'll be interesting to see what the PGA does moving forward with this policy, if they make any adjustments uh, or if they come out. Because, again, this is going to be sort of set a precedent, if you will, 
Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I just thought it was a little bit unfair. I think there were other options that could have been made available, as we've discussed. And I uh, was just curious to see what your thoughts were. All right, Pete, I'm going to come back to you. We're going to talk about uh, a few different things here. Uh, we're going to dial in on the short game a little bit. And this was uh, a bit of a discussion I had last week. Uh, but I want to get some different perspectives, and I want to kind of twist things around a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about chipping first. And, you know, with, with chipping, a lot of people, uh, you know, there's a, a variety of, of components to the technique and, and, and how to chip the ball uh, properly and, and to get the, the best, uh, yield the best results. Uh, and a question I'm often faced with is, is the lower body engaged or is it merely more upper body when it comes to uh, – performing or executing a chip shot. What are your thoughts here and, and uh, kind of lay it out for us? Well, I would say the, the lower body is not, it's engaged, but I, I don't think it's, you know, any kind of a, a, a force of movement that it is with the longer swing. I think if there is a foundation for the upper body to work and move the club, uh, obviously as the swing gets a little bit longer, um, there's going to be some more movement, but I think more than anything else, the lower body in a chip shot is going to be a, you know, like the foundation that you're standing on, and it's important that it, it stays in that foundation so you can repeat the motion that the upper body's going to make. You know, you're looking at a, a swing that's going to have a slight descent to it. I mean, the body's leaned a little bit forward for, for a lot, most cases in chipping, and so you're not looking at a lot of lower body motion. So I think more than anything else, it's just a stable influence. It should stay there very solid and allow the upper body to do its work, and, and I think in that case, you'll get a lot more consistent uh, with what you're trying to do overall in those types of shots. But, yeah, I, to me, it's just a solid foundation that you're going to use uh, to support what you're doing with the club arms and sh- shoulders, upper body. Yeah, and, John, I think it's more uh, plays more in this particular case in chipping because it is a much shorter uh, stroke, if you will, uh, plays a more passive role. doesn't mean that it's not engaged in some way, but it's not. we're not transferring the weight from back foot to front foot the same way uh, as we did with a with a more full shot. Um, what are some other do's and don'ts um, that one might find themselves executing? Um, you know, a, a chip shot that you know is is going to be more beneficial. You know, something as an example, we often hear some teachers say, you know, play the ball more back towards the back foot. Uh, others say, no, it should be more around the center, and then others. I've even heard uh, others say that you know it should be a little further forward. Even, um, what do you feel is ideal when it comes to chipping? Is there a difference? Is there a one size fits all? Uh, what are your thoughts here? Well, the the biggest thing that I try to get my students to do when they chip is um, I, I think you know Pete said a, did a good job of explaining about the lower bodies. You're kind of stabilizing your lower body. You're setting your weight in your left side if you're a right-handed golfer. Um, and you're making kind of more or less a putting type motion. You're not making a, you know, there's not a lot of wrist hands or a lot of follow through. Um, the the main thing that that I look for is that that a student um, first of all be using the proper club. You know, they're using seven iron, eight iron, nine iron wedge, depending on where what how, how far the ball is going to be running. But it's very important that they pick a landing area that's very close, right on the right on the green, like a yard on the green. I don't like to see students uh, hitting the ball way out onto the green with a seven iron because the ball is going to run, you know, off the green in most cases. 
Um, and so it's very important, you know, as far as the ball position goes, I like to see a stance where the feet are closer together and the ball is played more in the middle, but the weight is more forward. So if, if I play the ball, you know, in the middle of my stance with it, with my, with my feet really close together and I set my weight forward by me setting my weight forward, I have essentially moved the ball back in my stance. So I think that's where mm-hmm. a lot of students get handcuffed because I see students play it way off their right foot and then they try to lean left. Well, that doesn't work because then now they're going to hit too much down on the ball. And so they, they they end up not leaning their weight. So if you play the ball back in your stance, you can't really lean forward. And a lot of times when you get those really tight lies, you know, you want to make sure you're leaning forward. You do not want your weight to be 50-50 on a really tight lie if you're trying to chip. So I think that if you move the ball or put the ball in the middle of your stance with a narrow stance, I mean, your feet are, you know, four or five inches apart, not a real wide stance. Because some often when I'm teaching, and I ask people, my students to hit a chip shot, Most, a lot of my students will set up like they're hitting a full swing. They'll take a seven or eight iron and hold it at the end, and they'll have a real wide stance, and they'll be standing real far from the ball. Chipping, you're much closer to the ball. It's a much more up-and-down type motion. And I, I just simply refer to it as putting with loft. So you're putting with the lofted club. Yeah, that's a great point, too. And, and you know, you're exactly right in, in your statement about the ball position because, you know, again, I, I often see many golfers moving, physically moving the ball back in their stance off that right foot and then leaning, uh, you know, putting more of their weight on their lead foot. Uh, for right-handed golfers, that would be their left. So, again, they're coming in with a very, very steep, and especially on a tight lie, you're almost certainly going to come into the ground at a much steeper angle, and more than likely, uh, you're either going to, you know, thump it into the ground and not make good solid contact, uh, or, you know, sometimes I've even seen them come up and they'll come out of their stance um, to avoid that and actually hit it thin or chunk it. So, um, you know, I, again, I think it's all a matter of a good setup technique and how to execute it properly. Um, and you know, we see all kinds of funky things out there on the on the practice tee. And I think that uh, for a lot of players, um, understanding what the proper technique is, uh, and again, there's, there can always be a little bit of a variance, but generally there's certain try-and-true methods, if you will, that have been successful for many players over the years, and that's typically what we try to teach. Pete, I'm going to come back to you, and we're going to talk about pitching, uh, which is a little bit different. You know, chipping typically is we want to get the ball uh, you know, it's a much lower shot. We want to get it moving uh, a shorter distance uh, and then rolling like a putt. Uh, pitching, we want the other way. It's uh, it's going more up in the air. We're trying to loft it up and get it up higher. Um, but one thing that I get asked a lot, and, and we talked about this a little bit last week as well, is uh, as far as the backswing and the follow-through. Some coaches uh, believe in a, a theory, if you will, or a method of However far I go back in my backswing, that's as far as I should be in my follow-through. And yet there's some folks like Dave Pels, who obviously uh, teaches the uh, short game. Uh, regardless of how far the club goes in the backswing, he believes in a full uh, follow-through or finish um, regardless. So again, it could be you know uh, halfway back, but it would be a full finish all the way through. What are your thoughts here? Is there you know one sort of set standard? that you think typically makes it easier for golfers or is something what Dave, and obviously he's very effective in his teaching, uh, can either way be acceptable? 
Well, I think either way can be acceptable. I mean, more than anything else, you see a lot of tournament players, um, especially in a pitch, you know, anything that's, you know, getting less than shoulder high in the backswing, you'll see a follow-through to where the arms are extended, and they don't go much further past that. Um, you'll see the forearms right out in front of them. Sometimes the club doesn't even get past hip high, you know, uh, as they follow through. So more than anything else, it's the contact that's important. Um, you've got to be able to get solid contact on those shots. And, you know, to me, if if you get solid contact going, you know, equal length either side, if you get it solid going longer back and shorter through, you know, depending on whatever technique you use, as long as you can get the contact, that's the most important part in those pitch shots. And I think too often golfers are trying to hit down too much when they're trying to pitch the ball. You know, the best pitchers in the game aren't very steep. They're very shallow. And so you, you really have to, to look at the technique and what you're trying to do and also how to utilize those the bounce on those wedges, which is, you know, they're built for a reason. They're built to help you. And so I think, you know, really when you're looking at the, the technique you're trying to use, um, you know, more than anything else, it's, it's getting the proper contact. It's getting the impact so that the, the club is more shallow, the bounce is more effective. And so I think length of swing, um, anything, as long as you're achieving, you know, an impact that's going to allow you to hit it very, very solid and utilize the bounce on the on those wedges. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And 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 John, just to add a little bit more to to what Pete was just talking about, uh, you know, there's really sort of two areas that I see. Um, if the ball is in, let's say, the first cut of rough, um, and we've got to pitch it to the green, most players tend to have a little easier time. There's a little more grass to work with. Where I see a lot of difficulty, and maybe you have as well, is when the ball is you know, out in the middle of fairway and they've got a tight lie, I see a lot of players hitting it fat, taking a lot of turf with it, um, especially behind the ball and not hitting the ball first. What's a good method here for somebody that maybe gets themselves in a tight lie uh, where they don't have a little bit of fluffy grass underneath? Uh, again, as Pete alluded to, you know, this is where your bounce uh, is, is important, understanding your, your different wedges and your different clubs and how the bounce works. Maybe you could touch on that. That seems to be a nemesis for a lot of golfers is even though they've got a perfect lie, uh, nice tight mode fairway, they still seem to struggle a lot with their pitch shots. Maybe you could help them out. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a common um, request when I do lessons. Students, I ask them what they want to work on, and that comes up a lot. Um, you know, again, I go back to a lot of the points I just made. One would be a narrow stance. You don't want to have a wide stance. The club will bottom out somewhere between your feet. So if you have a really wide stance, that your margin fair is now increased. If you have a narrow stance, your club is going to bottom out in the same spot much more consistently than if you have a wide stance. So that's the first thing when you're hitting a pitch off a tight lie. The second thing, like Pete says, you got to use that bounce. And the best way to use the bounce is by learning to open up the club face. And I know that's uh, scary for a lot of people. If you don't like to open up the club face, then you need to have a wedge that has a lot of bounce in it. If you've got a 60-degree lob wedge with four degrees bounce, you're probably going to struggle, uh, you know, because the club is going to tend to dig. So, uh, you know, I would I would encourage the students out there to put some money into some good wedges. Talk to your local PGA club professional about, you know, how much bounce you need depending on how firm your fairways are and, and how, you know, um, the conditions that you play under at your club, uh, I would encourage you to do that because bounce is your friend. 
I like to open up the face a little bit. Um, For me, uh, I I would open it up to like 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock if you're looking at the leading edge. You know, 12 o'clock is a standard square face, 1 o'clock slightly open. When you open up that club face a little bit, that that utilizes the bounce. Um, And then depending on, you know, how far you've got to carry the ball, you can vary how much you lean your weight, whether you lean it more into your left side or whether you go 50-50 with your weight distribution. If you go 50-50, you produce a higher shot. If you go 70-30, 70% of your weight in your in your left hip and, and uh, 30% in your right, um, that would produce a lower. You'll get a little bit more of a divot. Uh, but if you open up the face, uh, you'll, you'll actually, the club will slide right through the grass. So um, tight lies are scary, especially if you have to go over something. Uh, I encourage you to um, definitely uh, consider taking lessons on those because um, if you're if you're not committed to that shot, uh, it can make you look really silly. So um, you have to make you have to make some swing and you have to be committed to that. And it is an extremely difficult shot. Uh, even for a tour player, they'll tell you a tight lie over a bunker is to a tight pin is is scary for anyone. So you just got to yep. um, you know commit to it and it's and and practice it a lot. Yeah, and, and and that's a great word to throw in there is practice. That's a word that people have heard many, many, many times, but uh, neglect to actually get out there and do that. So that that's some great advice. And you're right, you know, a lot of students, uh, we've all, I think, experienced this, say, and, and really struggle with, with a tight lie. And uh, you'd think it would be the opposite, that would be, uh, a gravy shot, but uh, as you pointed out, for many tour pros, that's a, a scary shot even for some of the best players. Pete, I'm going to jump now to putting with you. Uh, this is another area that um, obviously is a, a very important part of the game. And this is a question, you know, that I get asked a, a lot. And, you know, obviously for, for every other shot that we're out there, uh, right from your tee shot, uh, to you know, out in the middle of the fairway, we go through a pre-shot routine. I'm often asked, do I need a pre-shot routine when I'm putting? If so, why? And what are the benefits? What would be considered, uh, you know, uh, some things that we would consider uh, in a pre-shot? We're not hitting the ball the same way as we would out in the fairway or off the tee. We're putting it along the putting surface. So is it necessary to have a pre-shot routine? And if so, Maybe walk us through an example of what a good pre-shot routine for putter might be. Well, there's no question you need a pre-shot routine in putting. Um, Just like anything else, it's going to allow you to have some similarities to what you're doing. Uh, It'll help to to ease, calm you down a little bit. It gives you a process you can go through so that you can, you know, visualize what you're trying to do, you know, get an idea of, of what the break is, see that break that what you're trying to do, and then, you know, get yourself lined up to do it. So whether, whatever that routine is, whether you're starting from behind, picking out a spot that uh, is, you know, in front of the ball to where you want to start it, you know, walking up, lining up the putter, uh, getting it set to where you want it to go. Um, you know, I would always encourage in, in a pre-shot routine to take some practice swings so that you get an understanding of how hard you're going to hit it for the distance that you see. And then, you know, get yourself set, put it on there, and then off you go and, and try to repeat that, the same motion, the same, you know, timing that you do it all the time. Uh, it's it's definitely going to allow you to be more consistent in your putts. 
I think if you take the time to develop a routine to where you're always looking at, you know, what the break is, how much break there's going to be, where you need to start your ball, um, how hard am I going to hit it, you know, incorporate these things into a routine that you can do every time each putt. And I think you'll find that you're going to, you're going to not necessarily make more putts. You will probably make more putts, but I think it's going to find that you're going to eliminate a lot of three putts this way. Um, you're going to get much more distance control under your belt because you're going to be more consistent with what you're doing. Um, so yeah, definitely a pre-shot routine is very, very important. And it's just, as I said, for me, it helps me to settle in to what I'm doing, get me more focused on, on what I'm trying to do with this particular shot. And I think most amateur players take putting for granted. Um, you can see that. Uh, I, I've said this before on the show. They hit 50 drives and drive past the putting green, go right to the first tee and wonder why they three-putt everywhere. You know, so you, know, <laughs> you can't neglect putting because it's, it's such an important integral part of scoring. And so I think, yeah, you definitely should have a pre-shot routine when you're putting and, and incorporate you know, what you need in there from, you know, the distance you're going to hit it, the break that it's going to have, and then getting yourself settled in, and then off you go. And another thing I would say, too, in, when you're developing a routine is, you know, once you're set, go. I mean, I've seen some that stand over it, you know, and I have to, you know, after a while, I have to see if they're still awake. You know, once you're set, go. You know, don't stand over it too long because the longer you stand over it, you know, the, the worse and more nervous and everything else is going to set in there. You'll get stiff and so, you know, once you see it, once you're ready to go, hit it. But I think a, a definite routine that you can use uh, every time is going to be very, very beneficial to you. Yeah, I agree. And I think also, too, the other uh, thing to, to look at is, uh, you know, as you pointed out, it helps to sort of get you settled into the moment, um, gets you prepared for what uh, what needs to happen. And uh, I think the longer that you stand over it, um, you know, doubt starts to creep in. You start to think of things a little bit too much. And then suddenly, you know, all of that good information, which, John, is what I'm going to come to you for. Um, you know, it's not just standing over the putt, uh, but I think to be a, an effective putter, I think starts from the very moment you start walking onto the green. Um, there's a lot of things that you can be doing at that point before you even get into your actual putting routine uh, pre-shot routine and actually standing over the putt. Um, we see this all the time, you know, on the PGA Tour, but uh, even, you know, when your foursome is coming up to the green, uh, there's things that you can do to prepare. Maybe you could touch on a few of those. Well, I think that's a great point. I just I had this conversation with one of my junior, uh, really good junior players today, and um, she's um, developing as, and, and as, a, as a golfer. And and, and still learning. And, and so I, I was explaining to her, you need to start reading the green before you ever get to the green. As soon as your ball is on the green, uh, you need to be figuring out, what, do I have an uphill putt or do I have a downhill putt? You may not be able to read it perfectly from 150 or 200 yards away, but when you're on that green, you've, all, you've got to look at the low points and the high points. That's the first thing I, 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 I say to every student is imagine a swimming pool of water being dumped on that green. Where would the water go? Would the water, the greens are designed to drain. Uh, if, a, if, a, if a green does not drain, it will die. Uh, it will have puddles. It will, it will just die. So they, ha they design them to drain. So look for the low points and look for the high points. That's the, the, what we call the linear plane of the green. And then look for the crowns. Crowns are the high area. Think of the crown of a hat. So anytime the pin is on a crown, you're, you're going to see 
it's going to be brown and rusty, and, and it's going to be like the driest part of the green. And then the low areas are the greener areas of the green. Um, you know, even on even at PGA Tour events, you can see the crowns and the the low areas are called the saddles. So you look for the the crowns and the saddles and the linear planes. And there's those elements are so critical to reading a green. And then you have to look at where your ball is in relationship to that. Um, the hole that we were playing in our playing lesson today, it was a large green. And I said, you can forget about the front part of the pin was in the back. And I said, you can divide this green into half and just say the back half of the green, pay attention and look at the linear plane on this back part of the green. Forget about on the front part because where your ball is, her ball is all the way in the back of the green. So sometimes you have to break the green down into quadrants and you have to say, uh, you know, the, the front part of this green today is not going to apply because my ball is not on the front and the pin's not on the front. Well, you may come back tomorrow and your ball may be on the front and the pin may be on the front and then it will apply. So learning to do that is very important. And I also think it's important if you're standing out in the fairway and you're watching the group ahead of you, watch them putt. A lot of times you can see the break in from when they're putting and you can say, wow, that thing really turned a lot. So when you're hitting your approach shots, you can try to keep the ball underneath the hole maybe and not have a, a, a downhill breaking putt. So those are little tips that you can learn. You always pay attention and you always use your feet. Your feet will never lie to you. Your eyes will lie to you, but your feet will never lie to you. So walk up to the hole, walk around, you know, uh, you know, don't drag it out to where it takes you five minutes to hit a putt. But when you, as you approach the green, walk up to the hole if you can. And, and that's a great way to read the green by using your feet. Yeah, and that's a great point, and that's exactly what I was was getting at. Because a lot of times, you know, when you're when you're first coming up, uh, you know, to the green, and your group's getting out of their carts, or if you're walking, or you know, they've put their, uh, you know, their bags aside, and they're grabbing their putters, and and they're heading up to the green. That's a great opportunity to step things off. Not only the distance that you are from the hole, but sort of get a lay of the land. Is that you know, are you going to be putting uphill? Are you, you know, going to be dealing with a left to right or a right to left break? Uh, um, you know, is your ball located in a low spot, you know, that sort of thing, gathering that information before you even step up over the ball. And to go to your point as well, even within a group, if you're not the first one that's got a putt out, uh, watch the other putts, especially if you've got somebody that's in the same line or a similar line uh, as to what you have, that is a great opportunity to observe what their ball does. Now, they may not hit a perfect shot, but it gives you a general idea. Is the ball rolling pretty slow? Did he give it a good you know, a good effort, and it just didn't go very far. Uh, there could be a lot of factors. So understanding, gathering as much information whenever possible is always going to benefit you. And then you process that information uh, as you get ready for your putt and, and you do your pre-shot routine. You've got that information at hand, and uh, you apply it accordingly. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, John, as you pointed out, you know, we see so many, uh, you know, people out there that just really spend very little time in preparation, Pete, I know you've talked about this many times on the show as well. They don't have much of a pre-shot routine uh, on the putting surface, and they don't really do any sort of information gathering, and they just get over there and take a stab at it, and then they wonder why they're three-putting uh, most of the day. So uh, always important. That falls into, obviously, short game uh, management. Um, you know, as uh, we have an overall game management, of course, but particularly your short game, there's a lot of things that you can do. And... Uh, you know, there's things as far as how much time 
you know, we should spend in practicing uh, our short game, both in a practice session, whether it be with a coach or on our own, and then also uh, maybe just warming up before a round. Again, we're not going to get into a full-blown session. We're going to do, you know, some things uh, to warm up. And we'll, we've talked about that many times before, so I won't get you guys to repeat it all now. But, um, but those are things that need to be considered, uh, and, and those are going to help you all the way around. All right, my final question for both of you, um, and again, this is just a personal preference of, of what you feel would be the best beneficial. Um, but, Pete, I'm going to start with you. Um, you know, time, as I alluded to, is, is uh, something that's very, uh, you know, scarce uh, these days in some cases. A lot of people don't have a lot of time. Uh, but most people could probably find 10, I'm going to extend it to even 15 minutes a day, uh, that they could put towards their game in some fashion, some, for, uh, some form of practice, excuse me. Uh, if you had a student that came to you and said, you know what, I've got maybe 10, 15 minutes tops a day that I could dedicate to my, uh, to my golf game, how would you have them spend that time to get the most uh, benefit from that little time each day? Uh, Pete, I'm going to do you and then John the same question. Well, I'm probably going to go with this a little bit different than, than you, you probably think, but I would have them spend as much time as possible understanding loft versus roll. In the short game, to mm-hmm. me, that's the most underrated thing that most players don't understand. They have no idea loft versus roll with all of their clubs. And once you get a good handle on that, you can pretty much play anything because you're going to understand air time versus ground time. And I even go so far as to have my players understand a ratio. So when you're chipping, how far do you fly it, walk it off, how far does it roll? What's the ratio of air time versus ground time? Understand law versus roll. And I think if, if they had just a little bit of time, that's what I would have them do. Because I think around the greens, that's going to help them tremendously to continue to get the ball closer and closer to the hole. They're going to have a better understanding of what clubs to choose based on where they want to land it, how far the pin is. So that would be, you know, my first choice would be, you know, get all your clubs out and understand, you know, each one, fly it, roll it, you know, understand what they mean, what they do, how effective they can be. And I think they're going to find uh, more times than not that they're better off with a little bit of air and a lot of roll versus a lot of air and a little roll. Um, You know, to me, I've always equated, you know, the short game to like bowling. If you had to loft the ball from the foul end to the pins, it would be a lot more difficult, but they let you roll it in front of you. So if you can get the, the ball on the ground close to where you are near the green, you got a better chance of getting it closer to the hole. So uh, I think that's what I would give them. I, I'd explain to them, you know, what they're trying to do. And, you know, if they've got 15, 20 minutes, you know, let's let's understand the clubs and, you know, air time versus ground time. I think that's the, uh, the key thing that they need to learn to, to really help to take some strokes off your score. Very interesting. I like that. Uh, it's a great answer. Um, John, what about you? Uh, you know, same scenario, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes a day your student might have uh, to be able to afford. And this is outside, of course, of a, uh, of a, uh, a session with you, you know, if, if they're working with you. But I'm just saying if they've got 10 to 15 minutes a day, they've come up to you and said, I, this is all I've got to, to, you know, work towards my game. How can I get the, you know, what can I do to get the most uh, chance of, of some form of success or what can I do to, to, with that little bit of time to help improve my game? What are your thoughts? Well, I've had this question many times uh, and I've had it uh, and it's also been discussed on your show. And I, I love this question for me. Mm-hmm. It's, 
it would be pitching. I look at pitching as the bridge, the bridge between the short game and the full swing. And so my theory is this, is if, you know, first of all, I I love Pete's answer because I think it's very important. But with pitching, the thing that what I love about pitching is, is if you'll spend 15 minutes a day on pitching, hitting like 30-yard pitch shots, and you can do that if you have a big enough yard in your own backyard. You don't have to go to a golf course. To do I used to, as a kid, I would hit pitch shots all the time in our yard. And so when you hit pitch shots, number one, it helps your touch. So touch is obviously important in the short game. But also it has the same sequence as the full swing. So it helps your full swing. So it's a bridge. It's a bridge between the short game and it's a bridge between the full swing. And the bridge, what I love about it is if I get really good at pitching, I'm going to hit it closer to the hole. And I've always said, if you want to lower your scores, hit it closer to the hole. It makes it much easier when you hit it closer to the hole than when you hit it farther from the hole. And people look at me like I'm funny, but but think about it. If I can pitch it up there two and three feet from from the from the pin, I'm going to suddenly be a better putter. If I pitch it 30 feet by the pin, I'm suddenly going to be a worse putter. And then I can also, by practicing pitching, I'm going to improve the sequence in my full swing because it's essentially the same sequence. I use my back and shoulders to swing the club back. I let the momentum of the club hinge my wrist, and then I rotate my body, and I let the momentum of the club release. So I'm doing the same thing that I would be doing in the full swing, but I'm just doing it in a smaller, slower version and so I get the immediate feedback of saying, wow, I hit that pitch shot really well. I hit it really close to, the, to my target. I would have had a short putt. And I also get the sequence of my full swing. So to me, the bridge is, uh, is pitching. If you've got 15 minutes and that's all you've got to work on your game, go out and hit some pitch shots. And you're going to see both ends, short game and full swing, are going to improve. Yeah, uh, also a great answer. And, and I just want to add one thing. Um, to, to really both of yours. I think both answers, uh, you know, covered obviously uh, similar, but, but also some different areas as well. And I think are equally uh, can be beneficial to any player. The one thing I would add, and I think that players, especially older players would benefit greatly from, and again, it doesn't have to take a lot of times. You can do it in, you know, two, three, four minutes of that time um, is I would recommend if you've got uh, 10 or let's say You've got 15 minutes a day. I would take a good three or four of those minutes, and I would dedicate to some really good stretching movements. Uh, reason why I say that is, you know, so often uh, whether you know we're working every day, there's those that are sitting behind a computer or uh, at a desk and don't get a lot of uh, exercise per se, and they get kind of hunched over, and they lose. Especially as we get older, you lose a little bit of that elasticity. And that's an area, too. There's a lot of tightness. So if you can do three, four minutes, even five if you can afford it uh, each day, and just some good stretching. There's a lot of great programs. TPI has some good programs. Uh, a lot of good uh, you know, golf fitness instructors out there that can help you do some specific uh, areas of, of good stretching that are going to be beneficial to your golf game. I would strongly recommend that because if you do that every single day for those few minutes – what you're going to find is when you get out to the tee, whether it be on the practice tee or whether you get out there on the golf course, your muscles are going to be uh, loosened up and stretched. Obviously, you're going to do that before you play, but if you're doing it on a regular basis, they get conditioned to feel that way. And if you're not, 
what happens is you end up going there and you're tight all the time, and then you don't make uh, you know a good swing, or you don't make uh, uh, you know it, it inhibits your ability to to you know swing the club properly, and even with your putting stroke. A lot of times, if your muscles are tensed up and tight all the time, you're hunching over, you're not getting a good posture. So doing that each day as well, I think, can also help in addition to the tips that both John and, and Pete gave you. Um, but great answers, guys. I, I like uh, uh, really what you guys uh, put out in tonight's discussion. Um, hard to believe, but we've we've blown through this hour pretty quick, at least uh, from my standpoint. Um, I'm going to give each of you a, a moment or two if you want to... Uh, let the folks know how they can reach out, and if you've got uh, anything that you'd like to plug, um, anything special events coming up that you want to plug or, or what have you, or products or books or what have you, um, by all means, go ahead. So we'll do it in the order that I introduced you, Pete and then John. Well, thanks, Ted. It's always great to be on the show, and, and thanks for having me. And, John, it's always a pleasure chatting with you on these Coaches Corners. I, I really enjoy it. They can get a hold of me at uh, PeteBuchanagolf.com. Um, one of the things that uh, I've used to enhance my teaching program is a simple swing repeater. And so, um, you know, it's a training brace that I developed to to continue to make the swing much more simple, much more repeatable. That's something that they can uh, get from me. Um, and, um, you know, just reach out to me. You know, let's start a conversation. I've always said that. You know, if you have any questions about golf, you know, there's a lot of times that, you know, just starting a general conversation can take you a long ways to get better at playing the game. So don't hesitate to reach out and, uh, you know, let me know what you're looking for. Um, I can do it whether it's face-to-face or whether it's online. Um, we can work with anybody anywhere. So don't hesitate to, uh, you know, go out to ppkengolf.com and uh, let me know what you're looking for. So thanks again. I appreciate it as always. And, John, what about yourself? How's the best way that folks can reach out to you? And if there's anything that you want to plug, uh, feel free to do so. Well, Ted, first of all, thank you for having us on the show and doing uh, all that you do to give us a platform to, uh, you know, talk about the game that we all love. And, Pete, as always, I enjoyed working with you tonight and uh, I just uh, enjoyed our conversation. Um, the, the First of all, um, the, the Golf Tips magazine, uh, I would, for all the listeners out there, I recommend that you get a subscription to Golf Tips magazine. I'm very fortunate uh, to be writing for the for the magazine and, um, one of my features is Fairways to Heaven, and um, the, and as well as doing instructional videos and instructional articles for the magazine. Um, if the listeners out there want to get in touch with me, the best way is through social media and John Decker Golf Instruction. I spell my first name J-O-N, so John Decker Golf Instruction. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I've got uh, several hundred u- videos on YouTube, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And then my book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, is available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart websites. And I also am doing public speaking now that the COVID stuff is, is over. Um, I've just uh, booked a, a, an uh, outing that I'll be speaking at at the Nehemiah Foundation in Springfield, Ohio. But if you're looking for a public speaker uh, to come in for, for a golf event, I do that, um, you know, and I can do it, um, you know, different formats and different styles. So, um, but I'm really excited to to be back doing that. But again, Ted, thank you again for having us on the show and uh, Pete, I really enjoyed it. Well, I I appreciate it guys. And thank you as always. Uh, uh, I always uh, enjoy having you guys come on and bring your best. And I think the, I think the listeners always get an opportunity to learn a little bit more each time that we, we do these shows and uh, we've been doing it now for, for a long time. And uh, I hope that, you know, 
uh, people will continue to tune into that part of the segment uh, of the program because I think there's always some good information that they can get and uh, it doesn't cost them anything to tune in each week. So thanks, guys. Have a great week and uh, I'll see you next time and enjoy the U.S. Open next week. It sounds like it's going to be a great event, so hopefully you guys will get a chance to, in between your uh, out in the lesson tee, you'll get a chance to uh, come back and, and watch a little bit of the uh, the highlights uh, throughout the week. But enjoy the weekend and, and the U.S. Open next week, and thank you as always. You bet. Thanks, Ted. Thank you. All right, that was Pete Buchanan and John Decker uh, joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. Always excited to have the gang on here and uh, always have try to have a lively discussion and, and cover areas that we think are going to be beneficial to you guys. And um, always uh, interested in hearing your thoughts, so feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my email address is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. If you're interested in uh, maybe providing a topic that you'd like for us to discuss on the Coach's Corner panel, again, you can reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Before I introduce my special guest this evening, we're going to hear a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple to follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. All right, and just a quick uh, side note, uh, if you go to golftipsmag.com and order a print subscription, uh, for the remainder of this month, if you enter in at, at the moment that you're checking out and filling out your information, if you enter promo code GOLFTIPS21, that's GOLFTIPS21, it doesn't matter whether it's upper or lower case, uh, you will save over 30% off a yearly subscription, uh, which currently is $14.97. You'll get it for $9.99 uh, by entering promo code GOLFTIPS21. So be sure to do that after the show visit golftipsmag.com, hit the subscribe button, go to the print subscription, enter promo code GOLFTIPS21, and save over 30% off the regular subscription annual price. All right, my very special guest, um, very happy to have him join. We've had uh, a number of discussions um, over the phone, and uh, he's actually uh, done a little bit of work with the magazine here over the last couple of months, so I'm excited to have him on. Of course, I'm talking about Chris Moffat. He is the founder and co-owner of Golf Pal Sports Inc., which runs an online platform, golfpal.golf, uh, providing top-quality golf training aids, accessories, uh, tips, advice, and product reviews. Uh, his background of 25-plus years as an IT industry sales executive and also a lifelong fan of the game of golf uh, helped him to conceive Golf Pal in 2020, uh, right smack dab in a pandemic, um, and we'll talk to him a little bit about that. Um, he resides currently in Whistler, British Columbia, Canada, and is actively working with a number of top teacher professionals at the beautiful Whistler Golf Club, uh, helping to promote the use of training aids and to help the everyday golfer improve. So help me welcome my very special guest, uh, founder of Golf Pal Sports, Inc., uh, Mr. Chris Moffat. Good evening, Chris, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. 
Thanks, Ted. It's uh, it's great to be on the show. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. We're going to talk about a, a number of different things here tonight over the next uh, little while. And uh, we're obviously going to get into uh, the website and, and what you're doing there and some of the different products that you're carrying and, and how it came about. But, um, you know, as I mentioned in the opening uh, bio, your background is not golf. Obviously, you have a love of the game, as, as we all do. Uh, but you were an IT specialist, if you will, actually a sales executive, um, and that was your forte, if you will, for many, many years. Last year, you decided to start this venture. What was your thought process coming in? Did it just sort of start as um, you know, a whim? Was it just sort of a thought, hey, I'd like to do this or I'd like to try this as a result of the love of your game? What was your thought press process? Excuse me, coming into uh, starting Golf Pal. Uh, that's a great question, Ted. I, you know, I guess you know if I take a look back at my working career, you know, being an, an IT sales executive, and you know, I really entered that more as a means to an end. You know, raising three kids and you know practical reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being able to to generate enough income to support the family and so on. But it was I wouldn't say it's my passion, um, and I've always wanted to do something, um, you know, more aligned with, you know, an interest or a personal interest. And, um, you know, I initially had thought about a number of different, you know, had a number of different ideas. And uh, early last year, I, I, you know, thought about, well, what about what about golf? I love the game, and you know, it's we, it's it was a popular sport, of course, and. Um, you know, originally I thought, well, I was looking at a one particular training aid and thought, well, let's, let's, you know, maybe I could sell this stuff online. I, I quickly real, came to the conclusion that, you know, some of these products, they kind of come and go. Um, why not be more of a central hub for the best quality of these products? You know, there's, you know, I, I don't like the idea of doing anything for, for a buck, um, but so being more of a, a platform where, you know, the amateur golfer in general wants to go to to find out, you know, what they can do to improve their game and, and what's available, what what type of training aids, whether it be putting or, you know, short game, long game, uh, mental game even, um, you know, what what can we do to provide some help? And there's really not a lot out there right now, you know, surprisingly. Um, there's certainly a lot out there with regards to, you know, general instruction. And there are, um, you know, various products um, that come and go that, that uh, are heavily promoted online and, um, you know, a single sort of single product stores out there um, that, that, you know, make, make some pretty big promises at times. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm more looking at, you know, I guess the long game uh, as far as, you know, what what solutions can we provide that amateur golfer um, to help them, you know, improve in their game. And I'm in that boat. I'm, you know, I like as you said, I'm I'm looking I'm sort of looking at this industry from the outside in rather than the inside out, which is, um, you know, and I'm I'm. I'm regular Joe here trying to improve my game now that I've got a little bit more time on my hands and you know, really want to lower the handicap and so on, you know, that I'm, I'm on that journey myself. So I can kind of empathize, <laughs> I guess, with my audience. 
Well, and, and let me just point out too, um, you know, there are obviously a, a number of uh, sites around, literally around the globe um, where they're selling a variety of different products. Some are just selling individual products, uh, you know, direct from manufacturers and whatnot. Um, and there's a lot of misinformation. One of the unique things about your website is you're a little more specific uh, and selective in what you're actually, you're not just throwing a bunch of products up there. Like you said, it's not, you know, obviously you want it to do well and you want it to be successful, but it's not just about the money and, and you know, how much can I make and that you're putting products up there that, you know, that you yourself would use uh, or would be drawn to or interested in and obviously that have, you know, gotten results uh, with other, you know, with other folks. So, you know, you're not just throwing things sort of willy-nilly up on the site. So do you kind of go through a process there, you know, as you look at potentially new products and that? Is there sort of a due diligence that you do in order to make sure that, hey, whatever I'm putting up there, you know, I'm really standing behind? Yeah, no, that's a great, great question. Uh, you know, I, yes, the, the short answer is yes. I mean, for the most part, we want to be able to, to – to try the products, um, you know, try them myself and, and also, you know, uh, other teaching professional that I work with and, and get some immediate feedback. Well, you know, we, we've, we've recently took on a product that's not really well known, for example, but I really love the idea, but I had no real proof that it was a useful tool until we got it in the hands of some golfers and um, could then see the feedback. So that's, that's really important to me personally is that, you know, whatever we put on the site, not not every product maybe we'll test. We try and test them all as much as we can. But if they're able to provide at least some very credible evidence that it's working and, and that people are benefiting from it, then, uh, then and, you know, we're happy to, to take it on. Yeah, and, and I think, again, that bodes well for your business model um, to be able to just really say that and say, you know what, we're, we're trying to provide you with products um, and or tips and, and other uh, accessories that we think are going to be something that you're going to enjoy. And, you know, because there's nothing worse than, you know, going out and buying a training aid. And, you know, I mean, we just have to look at the fitness industry over the years and how many of us, uh, you know, that uh, filled up our garage with all of these workout, you know, devices and whatnot, and many of them never really perform very well. So, you know, consumers are becoming much more savvy uh, when it comes to purchases, and they don't mind spending a little bit of money, but they want to feel like they're getting value uh, for that. So, again, that's something that you, uh, I believe, really strive through, and I've seen, obviously, I'm familiar with many of the products that, uh, that you do have on your site, and you're obviously continuing to add more, um, but again, you know, uh, again, you're looking to complement your business by exposing you know the the followers and the the viewers of your site with products that you feel are going to give them um, some good positive feedback and help with their game because obviously then they're going to come back and and want to look at for other products as well so it, it goes to that repeat business if you're providing products that are good um, that people enjoy and, and are feeling satisfied with their purchase then they're going to look at other things as time goes on. Uh, demographically, who's, you know, just from, again, let me actually, before we get into that, let me back up. As I mentioned, you started this last year. Um, 
obviously had to be a little bit nerve-wracking considering that you're right smack dab in a pandemic. Um, you know, there are a lot of uncertainties in that. Was there a point that you said to yourself, mm, I don't know, this maybe I shouldn't do this, or was there a point that as you moved along that you were surprised and said, you know what, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, things are going pretty well? Yeah, well, I guess <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, when you, any entrepreneur that starts, you know, they, they, they kind of go off on maybe a hunch or a gut feel. Um, you know, I certainly, and, 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 and compounded by the fact that we we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, was that a good idea? But, um, you know, so I, I definitely had my reservations and, you know, I started out fairly conservatively, I guess. Um, but, you, you know, to the second part of your question, I, I launched the site in September, um, which, you know, in the world of e-commerce is, you know, um, moving into the, the fourth, what they call the fourth quarter, which is, I, mm -hmm. I call the silly season, you know, for, for consumers to buy stuff, obviously, during the holiday period, and, you know, in Black Friday and Cyber Monday and, and all the rest of it. Um, but it, I, rem I, I remember sitting in my, sitting watching TV one evening and I just launched the site and I got my first sale. And um, I, it just, I was like, what? Like, how did that happen? So, and then, you know, it, it sort of kind of gradually built and then my confidence sort of in the, in the business began to increase. And then, you know, as we got into that, that, that holiday shopping period, it, it was, um, it, it exceeded my expectations. And it was at that point I realized I was onto something that you know there's like i said there's not a lot of um i guess organizations out there or platforms that are doing or at least doing what my vision is and um you know i'm certainly not right. there yet but it, it 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 dawned on me that i was on to something and the other thing was the the suppliers that i've been able to to work with and and attract with with the story that mm -hmm. i had um i think also um, was validation for me because, you know, we're, mm -hmm. I was able to, you know, as you, as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, you're familiar with the number of the products and who's this guy, Chris mm -hmm. calling me up, um, you know, don't know him. He's not in the industry, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, when I kind of explain right. what, what the vision was, where we're going and how we're marketing and, and so on, um, uh, they bought in and, um, you know, and, and and it just snowballed from there. So, but you know, it's a definitely nervous start, but uh, it's it's fantastic. Um, you know, the results that we've we've been able to achieve here in less than a year. You know, what's um, and again, I think if you if you go into whatever it is you do with a good vision and you have a, a game plan, if you will, and with a mindset, okay. This is what I want to do. You didn't just throw a bunch of things up on your site and and say, well, you know, we'll see what sells and what doesn't. You know, you actually, um, as I said, you you know, you looked at a lot of products. Obviously, some you know you personally tested and or through uh, some professionals and other golfers that you uh, were connected with to get their honest feedback. Whether this is something that you felt was 
was going to be viable uh, out there in the market. And there certainly, as I said, there are uh, you know websites out there that feature a lot of different products, but a lot of times they're just throwing stuff up there and then they're you know discounting the heck out of them uh, in order to move them. And then a lot of people get them and they're collecting dust in the garage. So you know you're putting a lot more thought. So I think this is probably why you've had the response so far. And what really mm-hmm. was interesting, we we had a conversation recently. And, you know, you had mentioned me at the very beginning, we first uh, got on a call uh, some, you know, uh, several months ago, but you sort of reaffirmed that here recently. And demographically, who's making a lot of the purchases on your site? Um, I think a lot of people would be surprised. (laughs) That's a great, great question, because obviously, you know, I had a, I had a target market in mind, uh, or, you know, what they call your, your customer avatar or whatever, (laughs) you know. And um, surprisingly, um, not the majority, but a good percentage are actually females. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, both, whether it be female golfers, um, but also, um, you know, I guess men love, men who play golf love golf stuff. And, and mm-hmm. you know, so they're often shopping for their significant others. So that, that's been a bit of a revelation uh, for me. Um, you know, gift, gift givers um, love coming to golf pal because you know there's good selection there and they figure oh, i guess i can't go wrong if i buy him buy him one of these products um but you know we also get you know i would say that it's probably you know the, the 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 majority is the amateur serious amateur golfer that wants to get better i mean i've got a lot of mm-hmm. different you know i've had you know instructors from dustin johnson academy buy stuff and um you know, other PGA professionals and so on, you know, that, that want to incorporate a training aid in their, in their teaching. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's the primary market. I would say it's the serious, the serious amateur golfer that wants to improve and, um, you know, Mm -hmm. are looking for solutions to, to getting better. I mean, we all want to get better and, you know, and and I, I should also mention too, that this is unlike the, I'll say the, the mainstream golf, um, equipment industry, you know, I don't, I purposely don't carry golf clubs. Um, and if you look on the PGA tour, you know, of course, you know, players are fine, big endorsement deals to, to play a particular brand. It's interesting that the, when it comes to training aids, the growth, um, and the use of training aids is a lot more organic, even on the PGA tour. And I use that too, as a bit of a litmus test for some of the products mm-hmm. um, because of their popularity, even amongst uh, tour players, which actually goes a little bit unnoticed because they don't, they don't necessarily uh, sign endorsement deals with these, uh, with these companies. Yeah. And that's a great point that you bring up because we had that conversation just the other day with, with another, um, uh, you know, industry uh, individual and, and, um, and, and that was one of the things that I brought up is again, there's nothing wrong with endorsements, but I, I, again, you know, when you start get too heavily into product endorsements from uh, an elite professional level, it tends to at least, you know, initially, you know, years ago, it was a little bit different with different products. But I think, again, consumers are becoming more savvy. And they're not, you know, it's not that they're disbelieving or, or what have you, but it's just they know that these athletes are being paid more often than not, uh, in some cases, quite a bit of money. Um, so obviously they're not going to say anything negative about the product if they're receiving you know twenty thirty thousand dollars a year uh, or what have you or more in some cases. So you know 
they want to know whether or not it's going to help them. Um, they know most of these guys out there are not using the products. They may have done a, some demos or something and maybe a video here and there for, for marketing purposes, but they know they're not, a lot of cases are not using it on a regular basis, very seldomly anyways. So for them, you know, just knowing re- other real players that have reaped a benefit from these aids or these devices or what have you, I think bodes, again, a lot better response uh, and and more purchases coming through that venue as well. Now, you mentioned, uh, you know, about working with a a number of of teaching professionals as well. Um, What are some of the things now? Is it primarily really to to help test some of the products and or what are some of the other things that you're doing uh as you're expanding uh with with working with some teaching professionals what are some of the things that you're you're looking to do yeah it's uh you know to 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 definitely to test product but also to incorporate them in the into the training uh in their teaching um you know the use of particular training aids um is is starting to 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 pick up amongst teaching professionals, you know, I mean, the, uh, uh, you know, apart from using pool noodles and, and uh, alignment sticks, you know, beyond that. And, and, you know, one of the trends, for example, now that there, you know, you've probably heard a lot of talk about using the ground in the swing, which is, um, you know, with, you know, mm. being able to pressure test and, and, and this concept of ground force reaction, um, so now there are, there are specific tools or training aids that are available that help the golfer leverage the ground better. And, um, you know, these are, these are quite specific in their use. And, they're, and so the idea is that um, I'd like to encourage, you know, and obviously for, probably for the more advanced, advanced player or student of the game, um, they can start really honing in in some specific areas of their game or their swing um, to improve, you know, whether it be using the ground better, increasing club head speed, uh, angle of attack, you know, things like this. Um, because of all the, you know, now with TrackMan and, and even some lower cost products that allow the, you know, the average golfer, the everyday golfer to be able to even measure things like attack angle and swing speed and ball speed and, and launch angle and so on. Um, so it, marry that up with the right training aid is is really advancing i think the teaching profession yeah we're seeing a lot of pros uh and i'm referring more to the teaching professionals now coming out you know as we become more in tune with what you know golfers needs are and what they're looking to do obviously you know we've always wanted to hit the ball a little bit further but accuracy and generating more club head speed and understanding how the club head actually responds uh, or rather the golf ball responds to certain situations uh, and how we're able to uh, gain more distance more effectively. Um, this is bringing an onslaught of, uh, of, you know, technology. You know, we've got mobile launch monitors, which I know you carry uh, on, your, uh, on your website, and other, uh, you know, technically driven products. Are you seeing more of a trend through what you've been experienced just you know in these last uh, several months? Are you seeing more of a shift in the market going more to a digital type product or a um, you know that type of thing as opposed to traditional training aids that are more of a physical? Um, and if so, 
where is the trend going? Is it more for the younger players, uh, intermediate or, or older players? Uh, where do you see the shift going right now as far as some of the products that you're carrying? Well, certainly for the younger player, they're, they're, they're obviously, you know, for the most part, fairly tech savvy and comfortable with things like launch monitors or, you know, and so forth. The, the older player, um, you know, maybe, maybe not so much, but even that might surprise you at times when uh, mm-hmm. they, you know, they'll, they will um, embrace uh, some of this, some of this technology. Um, I think the, you know, and, and we're, I'm currently in discussions with some suppliers that are, are very um, technical and, and, you know, oriented um, in their approach and, and what they're going, you know, what they, they promise to provide. Um, and you know some of these some of these products are um, you know not cheap <laughs> um, by any no. means um, when you get into you know things like me- measuring foot pressure and pressure maps and so on um, where you know this and but this is where where it's trending right this is you know getting into there, we now have the technology and we now have the empirical data to show. Um, or to prove certain theories that some teachers have had for many years or disprove them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you right, know, right. like I said, I was talking earlier about using the ground. Well, you know, using the ground um, at least the, in, as leverage to create club head speed, I don't know if, you know, 10, 20 years ago there that was ever even talked about. Now it's, you know, this, this is what it's not, what, you know, sort of the, the last mile almost and, and, and understanding all the various aspects of, of the golf swing. And we can measure and prove, um, you know, with the technology that's available to be able to do that. And, and so now even some of these more mechanically oriented swing aids are, are based on that data that's coming out. You know, like there's right. one product that's very simple that we carry called down underboard. Um, which a number of tour, PGA Tour players use, um, but it's based on that in, that proof now that's available that you know use of the ground is going to improve your golf swing. Uh, so they kind of mm-hmm. go hand in hand. You have this I'll call low tech and high tech. They're kind of emerging, um, you know, because of the availability of the information. Yeah, and I think what what's happening now is a lot of the information, you know, for instance, you know, Nicholas always talked about earlier on in his career about the importance of good footwork and, and how the ground, you know, played a role in, in his game, uh, you know, helping them generate that, that um, you know, superior club head speed. I think now with the advancement of technology, we're able to actually pinpoint and isolate uh, specific things and areas of the golf swing that's again either support or or go against uh, you know some earlier opinions. So it, it's something that definitely is being embraced, and I'm sort of seeing, and I'm sure you, something similar. Um, you know, we're sort of seeing that 25, age 25 to 45 market is really much more technology driven. And then when you start getting the 50 and older crowd, which of course I fall into, um, I certainly love technology too. Don't get me wrong, but you know we tend to gravitate away from that more. Um, and I think part of it is because we've played for a lot longer. We pretty much, you know, I obviously teach golf, so I have a different perspective. But, um, you know, so that tends to be, and that doesn't mean that they don't do it, but that tends to be 
you know, more inclined to uh, certainly be knowledgeable some somewhat of technology, but not necessarily dive right in. Is that something, is that pretty accurate from what you're seeing as well, kind of that demographic? The ages may be slightly different, but generally that's what you're seeing as well? Yeah, no, I think that you're right on. Um, there's, it's definitely that that 25 to 45 year older are are um, you know the more the early adopters, if you will, of some of this, and then you know whereas the the older generation that you know they're but surprisingly they they are interested in, in AIDS, um, but they're more um, something that they can relate to, um, as you said, right. based on the fact that they've probably been playing the game for a number of years. And they may be attracted to a specific product because it's, it hones right in on a weakness in their game uh, that they want to fix, uh, as opposed to, you know, embracing things like launch monitors and, you know, measuring ground force and things like that. Yeah, and I think for the, for the older golfers, I, I know, again, because they have played longer, they, can, they tend to know what areas of their game that they're not uh, as successful with, and you're right, they tend to gravitate towards aids or um, technology that hones into specifically where that is. And also the other th- argument too is most people that have been playing for a lot, they don't, they don't want to reinvent the wheel. They're not learning, you know, th- the game from scratch. So they don't, you know, they've been playing for maybe, you know, 20, 30, some cases, 40 years and over. Uh, they play a pretty decent game. They're, you know, some of our stronger um, handicap amateur players and they don't want to reinvent the wheel. They just want to go out there. There's a few weak areas in their area of their game that they want to isolate. So, you know, some of this, uh, the age or some of the technology out there is really better suited for somebody that's maybe a beginning golfer or a very early entry golfer to really understand and isolate some of the key factors a little bit more uh, expansive than maybe what some of the more seasoned players uh, might be looking for. So, you know, that sort of adds, to I think, to that as well. So let's talk about some of the products that you do have on your site. I know we don't uh, have the visual component here on the show, uh, but maybe you can just uh, gloss over a few of the products that you have. And then obviously after the show, we're going to give the website uh, or at the yep. end of the show, give them the website and let them go and take a look. But what's some of the uh, more common uh, you know, products that you have on there and uh, some of your, your more successful uh, stories, if you will? Sure. Um, yeah, so on the you know since we were on the we were on the topic of ground force, there's a couple products that are uh, very very popular right now. Um, and I mentioned the down under board. Um, there's another product called the force pedal, which is an interesting concept and is also very popular. And it's um, you know uh, designed again to help leverage the ground. Um, and you essentially use it on your your lead foot um, in your in your practice routine, um, and these are you know scientifically designed cushions that you rest your foot on, and um, and then to to be able to feel a release from the ground uh, to understand what it means to to use the ground. So that's that's also very popular. Um, you know, and surprisingly, you know, I'm talking about low tech. <laughs> I think since COVID, you know, there's a lot more people uh, practicing at home. And, um, you know, things things simple as, you know, a good quality net where they can, you know, do f- practice full swings in their backyard. Um, 
and there's a, a very interesting company called Spornia that we uh, work with. They have a, you know, a, 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 a very uh, compact um, and a very well-made net um, that, you know, this is right now we, is probably our biggest seller. Um, you know, it's got some interesting design features, like it returns the ball. It can be very easily packed up and taken to, you know, take to the park or, or wherever you want to use it. Um, so, you know, th- that's also very popular. Um, you know, we've also got, you know, some products that are, I would say, more suited to someone who wants to work on all different aspects of their game. Um, the Total Golf Trainer is one that comes to mind, and it's really, you know, it it, it includes a number of different um, components, whether it be, you know, for your backswing or your release or, or what have you. Um, but the other the other area um, that is very popular right now is, of course, everyone wants to hit it 350 yards, and, you know, anything that will help <laughs> increase swing speed um, right. is popular. Um, you know, super speed sort of pioneered that, and a number of PGA Tour players are, are using that, and that, which has kind of um, created a, a bit of a trend from some innovative suppliers who've come out with some very unique um, I'll say um, oversley call overspeed training devices. Um, you know, one that we're working with right now is a really interesting product and extremely well made. Um, and again, this this was made by a, I'll call it you know a, a golf an amateur golf fanatic basically that what had had developed the concept of combining a overspeed trainer with all something that also teaches a proper release in the swing. So it's um, a product called Slingshot, um, which mm-hmm. uh, is now uh, really starting to take off and has had some great reviews um, from people that have used it. We've, we've tested it here, and um, it, it's already being used at the Whistler Golf Club with some of their students, and, and, and their students are now starting to buy it. So it's a, it's a great, uh, you know, testament to, to some of the interesting innovative products that are coming out today just in relation to some of the trends. You know, I, I would say the two biggest trends right now are overspeed training and using the ground. And, um, you know, we're seeing more and more products that come out that address that, that those particular areas. Yeah, and I think it, it, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, and that is I think if the product essentially does what it says it's going to do, you know, people are, you know, it's very interesting, you know, when you look at how consumers are. I mean, you know, if it's something, you know, if it's a reusable product, you know, like coffee or something like that, people have their favorite brands or what have you, and they'll just reorder and reorder and reorder. But when it comes to something, whether it be a training aid in this particular case or whatever, they're a little bit more savvy. They're going to do a little bit more homework. And if they see that, you know what, that it's providing results, they don't mind. You know, price suddenly doesn't become as, I mean, certainly within reason, doesn't become as important. I mean, you know, you look at some of these training aids, they can start as little as, you know, $50, $60 upwards to, you know, a couple hundred dollars. And, you know, obviously the mobile launch monitors are a little bit more expensive than that. But people don't mind spending money if they feel they're getting value of something, if they just feel it's another gimmicky thing and it's not really, you know, doing what it says it's going to do, uh, or even come close, 
you know, they'll shy away from it. This is why, you know, I think that, you know, with, with clubs, you talked about earlier about golf clubs, um, you know, people are holding on to their old sets of golf clubs or they're being more frugal at what they're purchasing because they're not seeing the results that they thought they were going to see, you know, buying that brand new driver at $500. So, you know, I think that you're starting to see that as well with what you're doing. And obviously, you know, you've been up since September. Um, you've not only had some success in sales, but you've obviously been able to get some great feedback just with the products that you're selling and also with the, the professionals you're working with. So as you prepare to move forward uh, here in you know a few months, you're going to be moving into your fourth quarter. Uh, and you don't have to give specifics, but you know, are there certain trends that you're going to be looking at? Are there certain areas of golf that you want to focus more on in some of the products you're going to be bringing on? What is your thought moving forward? Yeah, great uh, question. I, I think for me, uh, what we want to do is spend a bit more time segmenting um, the, the, the training aids in terms of what part of the game are we trying to address you know, whether mm-hmm. it's so, you know, looking at things like, you know, okay, this, we have the short game category or we have the putting category, we have the, the, um, you know, full swing category and, and so on. So we can, we can, you know, ultimately what we'd like to be able to do is <clears throat> work with that customer and, and guide them towards the right set of products that are going to, that are going to address whatever area of concern they have for their game. And and I think the other thing we we really want to do more of and continue to to do is is conduct product reviews um, and provide mm-hmm. more more evidence. I and mean, one of the things we do already is you know we we allow people to leave feedback and uh, customer reviews are are posted on our site for the various products, um, so they can they can see firsthand whether it's something that um, uh, is right for them. So you know it's. It's really about um, providing that guidance um, to the to the customer, um, giving them solid advice, um, you know, and and ultimately incorporating golf tips um, in teaching with the use of training aids, and and how that you know mm-hmm. is going to play mm-hmm. out will will be you know more articles um, you know related to you know, various um, golf tips associated and and how that would work with a particular training aid to solve a particular problem. You know, I remember years ago uh, in its earlier days on the Golf Channel, um, you know, they used to uh, bring out, you know, pretty much on a, a weekly basis a number of different training aids they would always feature uh, and, you know, there were certainly some very interesting ones. There were some that, you know, that were not so much. Uh, but it was always interesting to find that there were a certain number or a certain element of aids that were predominantly very successful throughout the teacher profession. You know, I remember famously the impact bag. You know, just about every teacher professional I knew for, for years had an impact bag. You know, and then there were other uh, training aids that they found. And then there were others that just, you know, got on the shelf, but that's where they stayed. So today, you know, as I said, the, the training aids are becoming more sophisticated and are, are being driven, as you pointed out, really by the technology, um, by as we learn and understand more about the golf swing and, and how everything sort of pieces together, um, you know, they're able to extrapolate data 
that then says, okay, this is an area here that people struggle with, and here's something that we can put together to help overcome that. Um, so they're, they're getting more, I, I don't want to say scientific, but um, the data is helping drive where the industry, where the training aid industry is going particularly. Um, do you agree with that, do you think? I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, like, I think, you know, like I said, I think in the, in the outset, I, we try to avoid the gimmicky end of the scale. Um, you know, or, you right. know, stuff that, you know, the big promise and, and, uh, you know, not, not a lot in the delivery. Um, you know, so trying to avoid that, obviously, you know, everyone's trying to make a buck and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you, you really need to think about, you know, is there real value in this product and, um, and is it going to do what it's intended to do? And there's certain, certain things that have, you know, are tried true and tested like you mentioned the impact bag well that's still a very useful device and um mm. you know you can, yep. you can see like some teachers you know that probably got every device under the sun and like martin hall and others that are uh love to <laughs> right to, you know bring out the latest and greatest um but they, they seem to find a use for them depending on what they're trying to teach uh but I, but i i do think where it is trending and where things are going is uh, definitely, um, you know, science is is having a is going to play a much bigger role in what these training aids are are, are going to become, um, you know, because if if we're for example if if a, a perfect angle of attack of a seven iron is what we're trying to achieve, and um, we need to have therefore you know potentially a training aid that is going to help the golfer achieve that, right? And before it was various teaching styles and different theories of the game, but not no one no one not having the data to, to back it up. And I think now we're that we're entering into a a different era, um, which is exciting, right? And um it lead, I think leads to mm-hmm. a lot more innovation. Well and I think the other thing too where we're seeing the market again the mar- you know, for a long time, the golf profession was sort of leading the students where they wanted them to go um, through a lot of the different swing theories, a lot of the, you know, as we used to call in the industry, the golf gurus, if you will, would come up with all of the latest and greatest stuff. But I think now the consumer is is driving that traffic. They're saying this is what we want. And one of the things that I think, and, and you may or may not agree, Obviously, you know, as consumers, we don't have as much time to dedicate to our game as much as we would like. I mean, you know, I'm in the golf business um, and, you know, I got in the golf business because I love the game. Uh, but now that I am, I don't get to play as much because I'm busy doing doing other things. <laughs> so, you know, I always joke around. I say you don't get in the golf profession, at least from a teaching professional standpoint, if you hope to play a lot of golf. Uh, you might in the beginning as you're building your, your practice and your, your uh, you know, your lesson tees, but... Um, once you get, you know, a, a full group of lessons day in, day out, by the time you get off the golf course, the last thing you want to do is go and play nine holes or, or what have you. So, um, but what, what people are, are under more of a time restraint. So, you know, some of the aids and some of the, the programs, you know, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, took a lot longer for the student to be able to grasp certain methods or, you know, it was a, you know, it took a longer period of time to adapt to some of the changes. Now with technology, 
they're able to get that feedback instantaneously and able to make changes. I mean, with some of the apps that are out there, as an example, they're able to do that. So that adds to the excitement as well. As we you know, grapple with, with time uh, management in our lives, we don't have as much time to dedicate to the practice and that of our game. So when we're looking for products, we're looking for things that, you know, I hate to use this analogy, but we're looking for the quick fix or we're looking for uh, something that is not going to require a lot of time to implement. And I'm sure that's mm-hmm. something that you've noticed as well. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you know, there we all know there's no such thing as a, a true quick fix in the game of golf. It it's, takes time right. and patience. Right. <laughs> but, you know, sure. by the same token, there are products that do accelerate the learning of certain aspects of the golf swing and can come in very handy for someone who has limited time to practice. I mean, I, there's one product we're carrying. I we just recently started working with um, that is uh, endorsed by Peter Costas called Precision Impact. And, you know, what it's designed to do is to help the golfer feel and hear what it, what it's like to have the proper impact position. Now, that's an extremely, you know, I'm sure you'd agree as a teacher, that's an extremely hard thing to teach. Sure. Um, yep. you, can, you can explain it and they can intellectually grasp it, but to get the golfer to get into the right impact position takes a long time. You know, whereas, and so this, so this, this particular product, I would say fast tracks that for them. Um, so yeah, for the, you mm-hmm. know, in particular for the amateur golfer, because we all know, you know, we look at that impact position of, you know, tour, tour level swings, right. You know, they, they almost all look the same, um, uh, because they've all achieved right. that perfect impact position. The, the swing styles are different, but you know, the impact position is almost identical. Um, and it's hard for the amateur golfer to achieve that. Um, so, you know, that's where we're seeing that, you know, a product like Precision Impact is is um, is helping the amateur golfer kind of get there a little bit quicker, at least understand it or feel it, understand what it feels like to have that impact position um, when they're, you know, when they're playing. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, as technology uh, continues to develop, we're going to see more of that coming down the, the pike. And I think what it is, too, is it's not just so much the time management, um, but again, um, you know, it's, you know, everybody has different learning styles. Some are more visual, some, uh, you know, can read the information, some like to see the information, um, whether it be through video source or what have you. So how they are delivering that information, too, is becoming easier and easier as technology advances. So we're able to get to those answers in a much quicker pace than what we used to, you know, 20 years ago. You know, it might take you several years to, you know, get to a certain level where now potentially if, if you're doing things correctly um, and getting the, the, the proper instruction and guidance, uh, you can achieve, certainly I'm not saying you're going to be out in the PGA Tour tomorrow, but you're, you're going to achieve a better uh, level of golf potentially uh, quicker than what you might 20, 30 years ago. So there's a lot of exciting things coming down, and you're uh, helping to introduce that to many amateur golfers. So we're going to do two things right now. I want to let everybody know Chris has got a great um, uh, uh, e-blast campaign running uh, beginning next week for, of course, uh, 
in, in honor of uh, the U.S. Open Week through Golf Tips Magazine, which is my magazine. Uh, so for those of you that are tuning in tonight that are subscribers of Golf Tips, uh, you'll be getting an email uh, blast next week with some great special offers from uh, Chris's website. Uh, but for those of you that uh, are not going to get that, um, we want to direct you to uh, golfpal.golf, which is the website link, because uh, he's always got some great specials going on there. And um, we really want you to check out uh, Chris's website. There's a lot of great stuff on there. And again, very well thought out, very well put together, and a lot of information there, um, not just throwing a bunch of stuff up there. So, um, Chris, as we get ready to, to wrap up, is there anything, any any other specials that you've got coming up that maybe you'd like to share or, or bring to, to the folks' attention? Yeah, well, I should mention that if for those that are not um, uh, subscribers to Golf Tips, um, we will have some U.S. Open specials on, listed on our homepage. Uh, so they can certainly encourage them to log on to golfpal.golf. Uh, during U.S. Open Week, and uh, they can take advantage of some of these uh, great specials. But, you know, I was going to say, too, I, I, we're really interested in hearing from people uh, and and love to get people's feedback, you know, whether they're existing customers or they're curious or have a question about a product, particular product, or, or even recommend a product. We'd love to hear from them so they can contact us at info at golfpal.golf. And um, I'm also interested in talking to anyone out there that, uh, you know, has a, has a product um, that they'd like to market, uh, feel that there's some benefit there. We'd, we'd love to take a look at it and, and test it out, and uh, they, can, they can reach me directly on that. Well, my apologies, uh, Chris. Are you still there? I'm still here. Yeah, uh, just a little bit. Yeah, of a- my... my- yeah, I, I apologize. I'm not sure what happened, but somehow I got knocked off the platform and uh, <laughs> okay. uh, had a little difficult. Yeah, it's pretty bad for the host to get knocked off his own platform. So I guess that was time. Uh, somebody telling me it's getting close to our time. Um, so I know that the, the listeners obviously would have heard because you, you were still connected. But um, so just very briefly, if you wouldn't mind, just let the, the folks know the website. And if you just want to maybe repeat a couple of things of what you've got coming up. Yeah, absolutely. So U.S. Open Week, uh, we'll have some specials so they can log on to golfpile.golf. They'll be listed there on our homepage. Uh, in addition, if they would like to reach out to us and uh, have any questions, like to recommend a product or or any other topic or any suggestions they'd like us to consider, uh, they can reach us at info at golfpile.golf, and I can be personally reached at uh, Chris at golfpile.golf. So I'd love to hear from uh, consumers as well as suppliers. Well, perfect. And and Chris, I appreciate you coming on. And as I said, you, you've got a great uh, uh, business that you've developed. I think it was a, a very wise move that you, you made last year. And uh, it's obviously uh, is, is doing very well and it's going to continue to grow. And obviously, you know, as, as golf, the golf game through this pandemic has has really shot up over the last uh, year with a lot of new people coming to the game. So there's even more opportunities to introduce uh, some beginning golfers to some of the products that you might have as well. So again, I encourage everybody listening to the show, go to golfpal.golf, check out uh, a lot of the great products that Chris has on the website and keep an eye out next week 
uh, for some specials that are going to be offered as well. So you want to make sure you go back uh, U.S. Open week as well. And for those of you subscribing to Golf Tips Magazine, again, you'll be receiving an email uh, next Tuesday uh, with some great uh, specials from some of the uh, suppliers and manufacturers featured on uh, Chris's website. So, um, Chris, thank you very much for coming on and joining me. And I, again, I apologize for the recent technical issue, but uh, obviously somebody was telling me it's getting time to to shut things down. So, um, but I appreciate you coming on, and and uh, we were obviously able to get uh, a lot of things covered tonight. Thank you, Ted. It was it was great to be on the show, and uh, hopefully we can do it again. All right, sounds good, and uh, we will talk uh, real soon. Thanks, Chris. Have a great uh, weekend, and I'll be in touch with you real soon. Thanks, Ted. All right, bye-bye. All right, that was my special guest, Chris Moffat, the owner uh, and founder of Golf Pal Sports, Inc. Uh, obviously, the website is golfpal.golf. Uh, you can check that out. As I said, go to the website there, and uh, you can see a lot of great products uh, and accessories as well, lots of great stuff there. And again, beginning U.S. Open Week, he's going to be featuring on his main page uh, some specials that you can uh, take part in. And if you're a Golf Tips subscriber, particularly to our newsletter, uh, you're going to be receiving uh, uh, as part of our sponsored uh, campaigns uh, from Golf Pal. You'll receive it starting next Tuesday. Uh, you will receive uh, an email uh, featuring some special offers that you want to check out as well and save yourself a little uh, extra cash, if you will, uh, on Chris's site. So be sure to do that. Visit golfpal.golf and uh, keep an eye out for you Golf Tip subscribers uh, for that email coming out next week. All right. Once again, thanks to Pete uh, Buchanan and John Decker for joining me earlier on on the uh, Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, guys, as always, for doing a great job. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in each and every week. I appreciate it very much. And I will be back next week with a great uh, panel on Coach's Corner and another great guest. I hope you'll tune in. Thanks and God bless everybody. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.